Good morning, church. Well, let's try that again. Good morning, church. There we go. It is a privilege to be with you here today. Usually I'm sitting out there listening to Dave preach and just being filled today. I I get to pinch hit, and I I love that. Um, A little bit about me, uh, like Dave said, I spent the past 10 years in New Hampshire uh, in various ministries, but I'm originally from Texas, so I am a Cowboys fan. Um, There we go. And I do wear the orange and black, but it is not for the beavers. (laughs) I'm a cowboy all the way. I went to Oklahoma State University. But it does transfer, and when I walk around in orange or black, people are like, beaver, beaver, beaver. I'm like, no. Cowboy. But um, I have my wife who has put up with me for 20 years, well, in marriage, 25 years altogether, and three uh, amazing kids that I'm blessed to have. They're not here with me today. They'll be here in second service, uh, so I can say whatever I want about them right now. Uh, But uh, thank you for letting me share what God has been working in my heart in preparation for this message, which we're continuing in this series Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. And if you haven't been here for the previous messages, I want to encourage you, go online, use the app, listen to these messages because you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged in your relationship with Jesus Christ to be what he has called us to be as people of biblical justice. Now, today, I'm going to share with you what God's impressed upon my heart for this series in in the nature of posture. Um, And this resonates with me because I have issues with my posture. I'm keenly aware when I stand or I sit and my posture is off because of some injuries I sustained in college and aggravated. I have to be aware of how I stand and how I sit because if I don't, if I am in bad posture, then I get searing pain in my neck. It's like somebody has driven a screwdriver in the base of my neck and I can't move my head. If I do, excruciating pain. So I'm constantly aware of how my body is positioned. And I want to suggest to you today that spiritually, in the context of dealing with injustice in the world, our posture, spiritually, our behavioral and intellectual attitude on how we move through the course of injustice has the same type of impact. If we have good posture, then we are going to be Jesus all over people. And it is not, it's going to be undeniable of the love and the compassion that God has for those who are dealing with injustice. But if our posture is bad, it's going to be a nasty taste in people's mouths. It's going to be painful and ugly. Our posture is critical if we are going to be a people 
who represent Jesus in the midst of injustice. And we're going to part today in in Micah, where our our title for this series comes from, Micah 6, 8. And in Micah 6, 8, this is what Micah says. You can follow along in the Bible. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew. It'll be up on the screen. Read along with me. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But do justice to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, before we get into the meat of this, I think it's important that we define a couple of terms here that Micah has put forward for us. The first is to walk. What is Micah saying when he says to walk humbly with your God? Well, the Hebrew word for walk is halak, and it literally means to go with, to walk, to go alongside. And for Micah's context, in the biblical context, when we hear the word walk with, which we hear frequently in scriptures in the New Testament and the Old Testament, what the author is meaning is he's meaning our lifestyle, how we live our lives. We live our lives walking intimately, personally, closely with God, going along the way with the God of the universe who created us, who created everything, and who loves us and who sustains everything. See, in the ancient Hebrew context, if you wanted to get somewhere, you jumped on your moped, right? No. You walked. That was the course of life. That was the way of life. You wanted to go to the mall. Well, there weren't any malls. But you wanted to go to the bazaar. You wanted to go to the farm. You wanted to go to the worship center. You walked. It was your way of life. So our way of life as a people who move into the face of injustice is to walk with our God. It is what we do. Now this word humbly describes how we do it. This word that is used for humbly in the original text, it only appears here in this scripture in Micah 6, 8. It's the only place that it's used. But most scholars believe that what Micah is really talking about is humility. Walking in humility with our God. Now that is something that is totally contrary and opposed to the societal norms that we live in today. Just think about it. What, what does humility mean? Here, here is the definition of humility. Reflecting, expressing, or offered in a spirit of deference or submission. Now, in our society, humility looks like this. I catch a pass, I get a first down. I catch a pass, I make a touchdown. Humility. It is the antithesis of what our society lifts up. I mean, think about it. 
or social media. It is all about self-aggrandizing, promoting ourselves as this most perfect, beautiful picture of life that could ever be, right? I mean, when we tweet something, we, we, we tweet about how great our lives are, about how great this meal is, about how wonderful our houses are. My world is just so awesome! Humility. I just want to suggest to you that as a follower of Christ, this is not something that's going to be easy. Because everything... Everything in our world today is telling us to be prideful, to be arrogant, and to be okay with that. But Micah, speaking on behalf of God, speaking to the people of God, the people who God has chosen as his special and own possession, says, walk humbly in humility with your God. Let that sink in for a moment. Reflecting, expressing, or offered in a spirit of deference or submission. Giving your walk, your way of life, over to God saying, Here it is, God. It is yours. It's not mine. I'm giving over all authority in this matter to you. And I'm going to walk with you in it. That can be hard. It can be difficult. Micah is living this out, and it's why he's writing it, because he's experiencing it himself. And and, and why? Because of the state that his country is in. He is desiring for the people of God to be back in the place where they are supposed to be in a covenant relationship with their God. But they are not living like that. And Micah sees the repercussions of this spiritual arrogance. And that's what happens when we don't walk humbly with our God. Spiritual arrogance takes place. And here's the danger. When spiritual arrogance reigns in the lives of God's people, injustice flourishes. It runs rampant. How do we know? Well, the scriptures tell us so. Micah is writing these words because of what he has seen taking place around him and in the lives of the people of God. In the first two chapters of Micah, Micah lays out grievances about how the people of God have been not being the people of God, moving in in spiritual arrogance, 
in the first two chapters, he lays out how civil injustices have been taking place, perpetrated by the rich against the poor. And in chapter 3, he continues that, but he moves it to a more spiritual, religious context. And in Micah 3, verse 11, this is what he records for us. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come among us. Pay heed to these words. Listen to what he is saying. Because it's important for us to understand the context of this. For the Israelite of this time, everything in their lives was rooted in and had its foundation in their covenant relationship with Yahweh. Their political system, their civil system, their economics, their agricultural system, their social dynamics, everything was rooted in a covenant relationship of being specially selected and loved by God as his special people. So there was no separation as we have sometimes today in our culture with life being spiritual or being secular. For the Israelite of Micah's time, it was all God, all the time, in everything. And he writes these words because what Micah believes is that the root of what is taking place, the injustice that is running rampant in the society right now, is due because your leaders judge for a bribe, your priests teach for a price, and the prophets tell fortunes for money, and they say nothing is going to happen. God is with us. My friends, that is spiritual arrogance. When you can go against the precepts of God and go, God's not going to do anything to me. I'm all good. Me and God, uh, we're down. We're tight. He's my boy. He's got my back. And God's going to go, what? You better check yourself because you're going to wreck yourself and then I'm going to wreck you. Micah sees this, and Micah desires so much for his people, his brothers and sisters, to be and experience everything that their God has set for them to experience, but they're not. Rather than being a people who put forward biblical justice, they are living in a state of spiritual arrogance and injustice is running wild. It is ruling the day. And it is tearing God's heart apart. So he sends Micah. And Micah gives words of condemnation, but also encouragement is what this do justice, love mercy, walk humbly is all about. It's about the heart of God. It's about the desire of God 
for his delight and for his desire for his creation. You, me, and all of humanity. Here's what I know when injustice takes place. It is ugly. It is brutal. It is painful. And it is hard. And it's easy to just be arrogant and not care and go through the motions and say, hey, it's all good. That's exactly what was happening in Micah's day. See, there were some religious reforms that had been established by the king Hezekiah. His heart was for God. And he restored and put in place huge, huge religious reformations. And his heart was to help the people of God get back to who they were supposed to be. But what wound up happening is that these religious practices, these tenets set by God that were designed to bring the person's heart in alignment with God and to see the love and the compassion and forgiveness and mercy and justice that God had for them became rote, ritualistic, empty, hollow, superficial practices. To the extent that the rich were able to pay off their sins. Now, this doesn't mean much to us, but in this time and age when Mike is writing, it is critical. Because if I'm able to pay for my sins, then I am clean because what their thought is with their spiritual arrogance is that I'm good. I went through the motions. I did the do that needed to be done. Yeah, I paid for it, but hey, I'm all good. But that allowed injustice to take place because what the rich person would think, the person who was able to take care of their sins and be forgiven by God through this means, now all of a sudden those who didn't have the means to pay for the sacrifices and for the offerings their sins weren't forgiven. They were lesser than. So I could do whatever I want to them. And it'd be okay. Because my sins were forgiven. Under the table. Not by God's standard. Can I suggest to you that spiritual arrogance is alive and well today in our culture. It may not look like that, but it may look something like this. The Christian who's standing at the abortion clinic yelling at the teenage girl who's about to have a procedure. Baby killer. Spiritual arrogance. Or maybe it's the Christian who has another Christian friend who's 
son or daughter has just announced that they're homosexual. And rather than embracing and walking alongside, they say, you've done something wrong. You've sinned. You're a horrible parent. Why don't you give them more Jesus? Spiritual arrogance. Or maybe it's just that holier-than-thou attitude because you pray all the time, you read your Bible all the time, you go to church all the time. But do you really step out into the world and enter into the mess that God has given us the opportunity and privilege to be a part of rectifying and lifting up to him? Spiritual arrogance. It happens a lot. I I know for me, one of the reasons that I did not want to have anything to do with church Because I didn't grow up in the church. I wasn't born a Christian. I was born again. But God was, I wasn't going to have anything to do with him because when I was growing up, all the televangelists were fleecing people for money and were in the news for all the horrible indiscretions that they were being a part of. Spiritual arrogance. And that kept me away from my Savior for way too long. He found me and got me, though, which I oh, I'm so happy for. But can, can I suggest this to you? That spiritual arrogance will have an impact upon your witness and upon your work and upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have a God who desires restoration for things to be made and put back right. Specifically in relationship with him, but also in relationship with others. It's what he's in the business of doing. And it is why it is so important, it is critical, it is vital that if we are going to be a people who fight for biblical justice and fight against injustice, that we walk humbly. Because if we don't, we are going to keep people from the only person and only thing that can save that can transform, that can move their lives from the pit of hell that they are experiencing now and experience the graces of uh, God who loves them more than they can ever fathom. Now, I, I, I so want to give some prescriptives of what that looks like for you, but I, I, I can't. I don't know what that looks like for you if you are a spouse who is dealing with the injustice of infidelity. I don't know what to tell you if you are a parent who is dealing with a child who is disobedient. I I don't know what to tell you 
If you are an employee who has dealt with the injustice of an in, a worker, a coworker who has stabbed you in the back, taken your work in, taken a promotion that you deserved. I, I don't know what to tell you. I so wish that I did. But I don't have any quick fix, band-aid, bandage to help you to get through that. I do have one answer, though. And I believe that answer is in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our example and our power to be able to do something that is completely contrary to our nature, to walk humbly with our God. Because by nature, we are, well, I don't know if you are, but I know I am an arrogant son of a gun. Okay, when I was playing baseball, I'd hit a home run and If I got an answer right on the test. I'm arrogant. I know it. It is contrary to our nature, but it is what God calls us to. And Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of what that looks like. I want to read to you from Philippians 2 this picture that the author writes about Jesus, about his nature, and about how he moved through the course of injustice in life. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8, the writer says this, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit. Let me stop right there real quick and just say this. This is all about relationship, united, love, confidence. It's about relationship with Jesus. It starts there. Relationship with Jesus. If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, 
in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the God we worship. This is the God we sang about. The king of all glory humbled himself, became nothing when he was everything, and became just like you and me, bound in flesh, hands, toes, knees, elbows, He had hair. (laughs) He didn't have to, but he did. Why? Because of love. Love for you. Love for me. Love for everyone that has hands, elbows, knees, and toes that has a heartbeat that is made in his image, in his likeness. Because we were spiritually arrogant. We said, God, (laughs) I'm God. I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do. No one rules over me. I am my own captain. And we shook our fist at God. We said, I don't need you. I'm good enough by myself. And when we slapped God in the face, you know what he should do? I smite thee and wipe us all out, but he doesn't. Instead, he sends his son who takes on flesh and he suffers the greatest injustice that has ever taken place in human history. During his passion, during the time when he went from trial to the cross, he experienced something that no God, no human being should ever experience. Two times declared innocent. Nothing had been done wrong by this man. Two times judicial system in his time, the ruling parties said he is innocent. And yet, he gets beaten like a rag doll. He gets made fun of while he is getting his life literally beaten out of him. And the people that are beating him are making fun of him, laughing at him. Oh, you're a king? Here's your robe. 
That's not bad enough. He's taken to the whipping pole. And his back is literally torn open. And the guys that are doing it, they're taking great pleasure. His flesh being torn from his back, his bones being exposed, his muscles ripped and bleeding. The God of the universe, the God who created you and me. And that's not bad enough. They parade him through the streets of the town for everyone to see. And then they take him to a hilltop, nail his hands to a beam, hoist him up on a post, nail his feet to that post. And then they say, oh, we're, we're sorry. Sorry that we did this to you. No. Our spiritual arrogance cries out to him. Oh, save yourself if you're the Messiah. Oh, he could save others, but he can't save himself. Oh, if you're really the son of God, then come down from the cross. Go ahead, show us. And while his clothes are being gambled for, what does he say? Daddy, wipe out every single one of them right now. They don't deserve our love and a relationship with us. Take them out. Send your angels and wipe out every single one of them and let be done with them. No. His words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You want to talk about humility? You want to talk about humbleness in the midst of injustice? This is it. I don't know what it looks like for you to either confront or deal with injustice that has been perpetrated against you. But I do know this. If you look to Jesus, the God-man who gave his life for you when he didn't have to, but he wanted to, because he wanted things to be right with you and him. If you look to him, and you lean into him, and you allow him to wrap his arms around you, and you submit yourself humbly to him. The injustice that you are fighting or the injustice that you are dealing with, it is still going to be ugly, brutal, painful, and ugly. But you will get a glimpse of a God who loves you that will help you to see more clearly than you ever have in your life the depth, the breadth, the weight, the height of love and desire that he has to be with you and to be for you. Now, the results may not turn out the way that you expected, but you will get far more than you ever expected. 
Because you'll be one step closer, one step closer, one step deeper into a love affair with a God who loves you in a mind-blowing way. And you will then be able to, not necessarily knowing exactly how, but knowing that you have a God who has the power, the ability, and the desire, the want to, to help you get through. Injustice is running rampant in our world today. Whether it's social injustice, racial injustice, sexual injustice. It's alive and well. You may be dealing with it right now personally. You may not be. And at some point, you will. Again, I, I don't have any prescriptive for you other than this. When you're meeting it in the face and you're in the midst of it, your posture should be a posture of humility with your God. And you will be able to walk through with him. And the result will be, I don't know. I don't. But I know that you will have a deeper and more satisfying relationship with your God. That's the heart of Micah. It is eradicating spiritual arrogance from the station of your life and allowing the ritual practices to be and do what they're meant to do. Massage your heart to receive and accept the power, the presence, and the love of God in and through your life. It's what the cross is all about. It's what Jesus is all about. And it's what our lives should be all about. See, in the verses right before we get to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly, it's about the spiritual arrogance of the worship system of sacrifices at the time. And God through Micah says, no. This is my heart for you. Change your heart. Do justice like Jesus did justice on the cross. Love mercy. Jesus loved mercy on the cross. And walk humbly, 
submit yourself in deference and submission to me. And we will journey together through this life that is broken and ugly and messed up. And together, we will make things right. And make God's justice, as Dave said in the beginning, a restorative justice. A thing of reality. The worship team is going to come and close us in a time of song. But I I just want to encourage you to take this time to meet with your God and just ask him, Lord, where, where in my life do I need to be humble? Where in my life do I need to have humility? Is there spiritual arrogance that I am unaware of that is impacting my witness in my work for you? And if so, God, please help me to be like Jesus. Help me to walk like he walked. And give me his love and power to do that. Show up and blow up in my world so that I can help transform the world with you.